five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Uh, that was the great Sarah McLaughlin. And you're like, why is Robert playing Sarah McLaughlin? Well, I'll tell you why. Because I actually think uh, Countdown, um, what is it, Fum- uh, Fumbling Towards Ecstasy, which I almost got confused with Countdown to Ecstasy with uh, by Steely Dan. It's a great record. It's a totally great record. By the way, behind us, East Palestine. Remember East Palestine? Just a little throwback here. Because uh, it seems to have been uh, flushed down the memory hole. And I'm wondering how these people are doing and how they're faring and what's really going on there again now might be an interesting thing to do to revisit that and now that the heat is off right maybe make some phone calls and see if we can find some more information about this place which um was about three and a half months ago four months ago was really the center of every news piece for at least a week, we can have two weeks, and now we don't talk about it. So today, in honor of East Palestine, it is in literally the background. Uh, so Sir McLaughlin, I was working at Mondo 2000, and we'd, we'd, we'd get all these CDs sent to us, promo CDs. And... Um, one of them was the Sarah McLaughlin CD. And it, and it was there before, like, I arrived and started to get access to all these CDs, which I would take to the record store if I didn't want them and trade them in for money. It was part, it was part of my income stream during that time. Uh, and so I remember, like, seeing the, you know, the CD cover, and I kind of knew who she was a little bit. There, I think she had another album out before that one. And I'm like, well, let me let me put this on. Let me see what it's about. Let me listen to it. Man, I got hooked on that record. That, like, that's a really fucking great record. Building a mystery, possession, sweet surrender. I was kind of struggling. Last night I was going through the, the some of the videos. Like, which one do I want to play? And I, I like sweet surrender because it's it's kind of upbeat. Like, like um uh, building a mystery is a really cool song, but it, but it, but it's a slow burn. I wanted something with like a little bit more of a, uh, more of a groove in some ways. 
but it's a I think a masterpiece of kind of atmospheric, uh, ambient, um, kind of this interesting kind of folk in some ways. I think she comes out of a folk background, folk crossover. It's a really great record. And I like really great music. I don't care if it's a dude or a chick or whoever is singing it. And then there's Sarah McLaughlin as a persona. And, you know, in as much as Fiona Apple is the bad girl, right? She's the bad girl, but she's very interesting and she's cool, right? Fiona Apple is the cool, interesting, like, I don't give a fuck bad girl who will date nerds like Louis C.K. Like there's a, there's an appeal to that. She's very talented. Sarah McLaughlin's kind of at the other end of the spectrum. And the thing I always get from Sarah McLaughlin is this feeling of redemption, right? Like that's what her music feels like. You're in the presence of somebody. Uh, let's you know, face it. She's attractive. She's an attractive woman. Um, and there is something like seductive about her, but not in the same way that Fiona Apple is seductive because Fiona Apple is pretty seductive. I'm just being straight up. It's a different kind of seduction. It's more, it's more witchy. Sarah McLaughlin has kind of a witchy vibe about her. And I think it really fits the nineties in a lot of ways in that Pluto and Scorpio period of time. I think that was the nineties, right? When that market came out, let's find out. Just so I can not look like a fool. The video production was pretty good um, on that one. Let me see here. Oh, fumbling. Even the name of the, the title, Fumbling Towards Ecstasy. There we go. Uh, came out 1993. Yep. That came out in 1993. October 22nd, 1993. Um, I think Sweet Surrender's on a different album, though. So that's my bad. Possession, Good Enough, Hold On. Um... Uh, those are all the big hits. Sweet Surrender comes from a, a different album. That's my bad. Still, it's good enough, right? Let me see. Let me get into the... Let's see. Sweet Surrender. Where is it? Touch and Solace. That was the uh, first album. Um... She was on Network Records, which is a very interesting label, mostly known for like Front 242 and um, kind of, in, you know, kind of industrial electronic music. Let's see, where is Sweet Surrender? Um, mm -mm. All right. 
She has a school of music. Uh, studio albums. Let's see. I think it might be on surfacing. Let's see the track listing. Yeah, it's on the album after Fumbling Towards Ecstasy. Building a Mystery is on that one as well. Sweet Surrender, Angel. Okay, so now I got my Sarah McLaughlin sorted out in my head. Another great record, right? Two great records in a row. And uh, this was like the start of the Lilith Fair that she ran. Anyway, I love I, I love both records, uh, Fumbling Towards Ecstasy and, and Surfacing. They're both fantastic. And a really angelic voice. I think she's got a birthday coming up. I think she's a Gemini. Let's just see here. Uh, Sarah McLaughlin. That is definitely a 90s record, released 1997. Okay, no, she's an Aquarius, born uh, January 28th, 1968. Sarah McLaughlin is now 55 years of age. Let's see. It's like she was sued for possession. Some guy named uh, Uwe Vandre says that he, okay, this is interesting. In 1994, McLaughlin was sued by Uwe Vandre, an obsessed fan from Ottawa who alleged that his letters to her had been the basis of the single possession. The lawsuit was also challenging for the Canadian legal system since Vandre was an admitted stalker <laughs> whose acknowledged goal in filing the lawsuit was to be near McLaughlin. Consequently, precautions were taken to ensure McLaughlin's safety. If she had to be in the same location as Vandre before the trial began, however, oh, Vandre was found dead in an apparent suicide. Wow. Vandre's preoccupation with McLaughlin was explored at length in Canadian author Judith Fitzgerald's book, Building a Mystery, the Story of Sarah McLaughlin in a Lilith Fair. Wow. How about that? In 1997, McLaughlin married her drummer, Ashwin Sood, in Jamaica. While she was pregnant with her first child, her mother died from cancer. It's around the time uh, the Sweet Surrender record was released. Um, that's when she married Ashman. So, so, so in 2001, her mother dies. While working on her next album, Afterglow, she gave birth to daughter India in Vancouver on April 6, 2002, on June 22, 2007, she gave birth to her second daughter, Taja, in Vancouver. McLaughlin announced her separation from Sood in 2000, September 2008, and they divorced the same year. So she's a single mom now, I guess. Man, I did not know that about the song Possession. Interesting shit. A uh, delirium is the uh, other group, which is part of um, the front two four two sort of configuration, and uh, she provided the vocals on 
silence. I don't, if you guys have not heard the delirium records, they're really, really good. So if you like groups like Enigma, you know, that sort of sound, you will love delirium. It's a, they're all the, all the delirium records are really, really good. Um, and there's tons of like delirium remixes, all that sort of thing. All right. Let's uh let's check in with you guys. Let's see what's happening. Let's see what's happening with Chataria. Chataria. Good morning, Chataria. Oh, we now have a chat. Oh shit. My bad. My bad. Let me get in here. Give me one sec. I know exactly what to do. Exactly what to do. Why? Because I've done it before. Here we go. Let me update it. There we go. Oh, what is this? Oh. oh, I hit the wrong button. Can you imagine somebody who's in charge of civil defense? Oh, fuck. I hit the wrong button. I hit the wrong button. Oh, my bad. My bad. Doesn't feel like it will just come down to that at some point. Somebody will just hit the wrong button. There we go. Now I can see you. Ta-da. All right. We got my man, DJMC, the beautiful one herself, Wendy says. Oh, listen, big shout out to our dear, 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 dear friend, Fup. And um, she's in the hospital right now. And uh, and she is dealing with a life condition. And um, Fup, a.k.a. Irene, who's been a long, long-time listener and whom I've actually had the pleasure to speak with and even Zoom with on a couple of occasions, we all wish you a very, very, very speedy, speedy exodus from the hospital and uh, your condition is uh, reversed as, as quickly and gracefully as possible. So big shout out to FUP. And uh, we, we all love you, even though a lot of people haven't met you. If they did, trust me, they'd love you. All right. Who else do we have? Sony, what's happening? Sony, the beautiful one, Wendy's here. TJ, my man. What's going on, Thomas? I'm going to be real quiet while I drink my coffee. Mm. C Pines. What's happening, C Pines? Uh, let's see. Hucklebuck, 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 411, Wandering Wanderer. I'm crying now thinking of all the dogs and cats. Oh, I know. 69TM, OMG. What's going on with dogs and cats? Past Lives Matter, Jello, everyone, Jello back. Jelly B in the house. 
Um, oh, I just got one during the ASPC commercials, which I immediately cut off. What's going on, Fran? Good to see you. Scrubby's in the house. Uh, let's see. That is so funny. I was wondering about Palestine, Ohio, the past couple of days. We're here. Just a reminder. Yeah, that could be any any town USA in a lot of ways. There's so many of those towns in this country. Status quo is doing good work in East Palestine. Good. Thanks, Tom. Fiona Apple uh, finally gained up when she looks better. Is that in relation to Fiona Apple or Sarah McLaughlin? Uh, Nick Sorter is on. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad that people have not forgotten. Uh, let's see. Who else? Maybe it's the longer days. Yes. Uh, let's see. I always like Sean Colvin. So I have a Sean Colvin story. I used to know this guy, great guy, until he came to the whole idea of the Second Amendment, at which point we vehemently and quickly parted company. <laughs> I'm just saying. Other than that, a great guy. And he's, a, I'm not going to say his name, but he's a sound engineer and a very talented one. And he was married to Sean Colvin. And Sean Colvin wrote that tune, Get Out of This House. That was him. <laughs> oh, man. And, you know, knowing her, you know, uh, Sean is a little cray-cray. A little cray-cray. Uh, and knowing kind of the cray-cray, and he, this guy who is very, very British in some way, super cool, but very British. It's like, mm, not a good fit. And so as I got to know this guy, I actually, I've actually stayed, when I came to Austin back in like the mid-90s, or a couple of times I stayed in his place while he wasn't there. Super nice guy. Until, of course, we crossed <laughs> Supports on the two-way thing. It's an American thing. Um, so I, I, you know, and I knew that he had been married, had been married to Sean Colvin. I asked him, I said, uh, did you get any royalties out of that song? And he kind of chuckled and laughed. It, I mean, it's got to be weird, right? Like, you know, you're the guy that she is singing about. And clearly pissed off at, but also making a shit ton of money off of. That's just got to be a weird feeling that very few people, I think, have the opportunity to experience. I could never divorce like him in that song and her in my head. Anyway, super good guy. I hope he's doing well. Uh, let's see. What else do we have? How many of you immediately turned the channel on when one of her commercials would come on? No, not trying to cry today. Sarah, oh, she did the SPCA commercials, didn't she? 
CC love enigma. You'll like, you would like, um, uh, Bill Lieber's group. Also known as Bill, I think it's Bill Lieb, also known as uh, Delirium. Bill Lieb and Reese Fulber. I actually saw uh, Friend 242 one time in uh, San Francisco. Oh, Frontline Assembly. It's not Front 242. I always get those two mixed up. Front 242 and Frontline Assembly. Front 242 was more savage. Uh, Frontline Assembly, more cyber. Okay, where, where are we? Let me get back. Let me get back to you. Where are you, Chantaria? Where are you? see i've got a steely dance on my head i cannot get it out steely dan is they are the masters of earworms i came to the conclusion that steely dan is or were the stanley kubrick of rock i'll save that for another day uh let's see who else do we have Marie, NYC, what's happening? Christine is here. Lisa W. Good morning from the Big Apple. Um, ba -ba -ba -ba, Sean Colvin. Let's see more Sean Colvin. Greetings from Hey Road Atlas. Greetings back. Uh, dogs don't walk themselves, at least my dog anyway. Harry Bowie showing up. Uh, let's see. Civil defense dude. My bad. Spit out my coffee. Hey, Darlene Tiffer. What's going on from the 210? Good to see you. Um, hi back, Sony. Uh, you can do the chat on, um, on Boxcast as well. Oh, you read the book about her stalker. That's got to be, I, I, I had no idea. I had no idea about that. Uh, Julie Moss, what's happening, Julie? Hey, everyone at the dentist, cannot chat. Wishing you a beautiful day. Paris, yeah, Paris Ryerine, she's a sweetheart. Okay. That would be awful, horrible. Civil defense, right? Yeah. Uh, it's it's hard looking at all these rejected animals. For sure. Any major dude. Love that song. I used to play that for my kid when he was young. You know, we'd listen to Steely Dan in the car a lot. I had Steely Dan box set, so all the albums in a box set so i you know put them on the cd player in the car and that was that was a uh, one song I, I wanted him to hear you know like just hang out you know hang out like the morning's coming and your dark night will end 
So any major dude with half a heart will tell you, my friend. Right? Good song. Great song. And Steely Dan, man, they wrote about some fucking fucked up shit. Really, really fucked up shit. Everyone's Gone to the Movies is a very, very creepy song. Very creepy song. Um, Time Out of Mind is an amazing song. It's like, like it, it's one of their best earworms. It's about smoking heroin. <laughs> right? It's what it's about. Chasing the Dragon, which is... Uh, a technique for smoking heroin. Okay, I think we're kind of caught up in the moment here. We're in the moment. Now what do we do? Let's talk about this whole idea of pole shift. So, something is in the air. Now, we're going to play a little game. We're going to play a little game. Let me go back here. Uh, the game that we're going to play is to not get attached to the messenger. But... Use the message for energy. That's what that's the game we're going to play here. I'm going to play you something. There's a let's talk a bit about a long form interview with Elon Musk. Uh, we're going to play five minutes of the CNBC interview to kick the show off now uh elon musk i've always felt that he was being groomed to be the new bill gates meaning that for a generation of people who wanted to identify with somebody who was really really smart had a lot of money had a lot of power uh and got into their wheelhouse around philanthropy like Bill Gates was the guy. Oh, yeah, Bill Gates. Man, he's powerful. He's the Wizard of Oz. But at some point, Bill Gates, his cultural cachet really starts to run out with younger people. What? Who's this guy? You know, there are people that, that are in their late teens, early 20s, they have no fucking clue in some ways who Bill Gates is. They only know Bill Gates as this, you know, guy with man boobs who talks about how good uh, injections are for you. They don't know, like, this computer revolution and Microsoft and how really Microsoft, even though he was a fucking pirate, uh, Microsoft revolutionized the world. Like we're, we are not living in the world we're currently living in for better or worse without Microsoft, right? So Bill Gates from a particular generation has that kind of cultural cachet and they kind of 
you know, they kind of grow with him and, oh yeah, go, go be philanthropic, go inoculate the world and make it a better, safer place because that's what happens, right? People stop using their critical thinking skills at some point. And then, and then, but he's running out, man. He's like running out of gas. So they need somebody new. They need a new wizard of Oz. And I've, often stated that that's Elon Musk and that's how they're positioning Elon Musk. The thing about Elon Musk is that that is interesting from an astrological perspective, he's got Mars in Aquarius. So there is a bit of the contrarian in Musk. And I'm not here to put my stamp of approval on Elon Musk. I'll go all in, right? I'm not, but what, what I, and I used to say this around Trump back in 2016. And I remember kind of getting into, I wouldn't call it a heated debate, but um, some of you might know who Eddie Lin is. And he, he has a pretty big Facebook page and a pretty big following. And he does these kitchen sink videos. And Eddie and I used to talk quite a bit. I really, really like Eddie. He's a really great guy. And he's an amazing, amazing decoder. You know, he comes out of the um, illustration world. Just a super, super good guy. But we kind of got into it a little bit with Trump. And for reasons I don't want to get into, because I don't want to get into Eddie's personal life. But, and I, and I would tell, and he was really like, super super down on trump and i'm like you know it's not about trump it's not about trump it's about the energy and i always that was always my um talking point around trump it's about the energy don't invest in the personality we get hung up in the cult of personality if we just looked at things that were energetic, we'd be much better off. Much, much better off. And so in the spirit of, of, of that um, you know, caveat or that disclaimer, whatever you want to call it, I'm going to play you about five minutes of Elon Musk and just take out this idea of turtle on the fence post and there is some of that to Musk, trust me. Just take some of that out and just focus a bit on the energy of what he's saying. Because I believe it is indicative of a pole shift. I'm not hanging my hat on Elon Musk. I'm not, I'm not saying, oh man, this guy's gonna be our technological savior. He's the man who fell to earth. No. Just listen to what he has to say. Some of you have probably already heard it because you guys are hip. But I want to play it anyway. And um, it's one of the best things I've heard by any public figure in maybe forever. Here we go. About your tweets. Um, because it comes up a lot. Um, even today, it, it came up, in, you know, anticipation of this. I mean, um, you know, you do some tweets that seem to be, or at least give support to some who would call others conspiracy theories. 
Well, yes, but I mean, honestly, you know, we, we, some of these conspiracy theories uh, have turned out to be true. Which ones? Well, like the, the Hunter Biden laptop. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that, 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 that was a pretty big deal. There was Twitter and, 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 and others engaged in active suppression of information that was relevant to the public. Um, that's, that's, a, that's a terrible thing that happened. That's election but, interference. But how do you make a choice? You don't see, I mean, in terms of when you're going to engage. I mean, for example, even today, Elon, you, you, you tweeted this thing about George Soros. Well, I'm looking for it because I want to make sure I quote it properly. But I mean, you know what you wrote. But you basically. I said it reminds me of Magneto. It's just like, you know, calm down, people. This is not like made a federal well, case you, out of it. You also. You, know, <laughs> you said he wants to erode the very fabric of civilization and Soros hates humanity. Like, when you do something like that, do you. Yeah, think I think about, that's true. That's my opinion. Okay. But why share it? Why share it? Especially, because, I mean, why share it when people who buy Teslas may not agree with you, advertisers on Twitter may not agree with you? Um, why not just say, hey, I think this, you can tell me, we can talk about it over there, you can tell your friends, but why share it widely? I mean, I, I, this is freedom of speech, I'm allowed to say what I you want You absolutely are, but I'm trying to understand why you do, because you have to know it's got a, there, it, it puts you in, a, in the middle of a, the partisan divide in the country, it makes you a, a lightning rod for criticism, I mean, do you like that? I, you know, people today are saying he's an anti-Semite. I don't think you are. No, I'm definitely not. I'm, I'm, like, I'm like a pro-Semite, <laughs> if anything. <laughs> I, I believe that probably is the case. Yes. But why would you even introduce the idea then that that would be the, the case? I, I mean, look, we don't want to make this a George Soros interview. No, um, God, no. I, so, don't, I don't want it at all. Uh, but I'm, what I'm trying, even came up though in the annual meeting. I mean, you know, do your tweets hurt the company? Are there Tesla owners who say, I don't agree with his political position because, and I know it because he shares so much of it. Or are there advertisers on Twitter that Linda Yaccarino will come and say, you got to stop, man. Or, you know, I can't get these ads because of some of the things you tweet. You know, I'm reminded of uh, there's a scene in The Princess Bride, great movie, great movie. Um, where he confronts the person who killed his father, and he says, offer me money, offer me power, I don't care. So you just don't care. You want to share what you have to say. I'll say what I want to say, and if if if, uh, if the consequence of that is losing money, so be it. Okay. But I mean, when you when you when you link to somebody who's talking about the guy who killed children in a mall in in Allen, Texas, and you, you say something like it might be a bad psyop. I'm not quite sure what you meant, but. Oh, in, in that particular case, uh, there was uh, a uh, somehow that, that that's not 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 that the the the, the that the, obviously people people were killed, but the it was I think incorrectly ascribed to be a white supremacist action, um, and the evidence for that 
uh, was some obscure Russian website that no one's ever heard of that had no followers. Um, and the, the, the company that, came, that found this is Bellingcat. Right. And do you know what Bellingcat does? PsyOps. Right. I couldn't really even follow exactly what it was you were trying to express there, so that's part why I was curious. I'm, but I'm saying that I thought this, the, 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 the ascribing it to white supremacy was bullshit. Okay. And, and, uh, and, 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 and that the information for that uh, came from an obscure Russian website and was somehow magically found by Bellingcat, which is a company that does PSYOPs. And there's no proof, by the way, that he was not. There's no, I, I would say that there's no proof that he is. And that's a debate you want to get into on Twitter? Yes. Because we should not be ascribing things to white supremacy uh, if, if, if it's false. Let's talk a bit about okay, your Twitter. Okay, there's a lot to unpack there. And we have a new unpacker. Come on over here. Come on. Kichi has shown up. When you want to get on this, we were talking about Bellingcat, and then you came in. Yeah. Let me give you guys a little, little peachy moment here. There she is. She is. She is growing, too. Oh, yeah. Let me stay up here. You don't have to go away. You're here now. There you go. Lots to unpack there. Okay. So, first of all, Musk is an odd-looking guy. And we've talked about this before. He's got... Somewhere in there, he's got some Asian strain, Chinese, Mongol, you know, you know, he's this interesting kind of cross-section between the East and the West. His theoretical point of origination, of course, is South Africa. And why is this important? Well, of course, there's the the emerald mine and all the stuff that goes along with it. And right. That's part of his history, but don't forget that Elon Musk either saw directly or indirectly what happened to his country that he was born in. He knows the price that South Africans had to pay and no matter what they did the so-called globalists were never going to allow them to reconstruct their system in a way that was going to be reflective of the people who built the infrastructure right and the people that the globalists were demanding that they take power. You know, we saw it in North Rhodesia. Uh, we saw it in Rhodesia. We saw it in South Africa. Elon Musk knows that story. And I don't think he wants it to happen again. My two cents, right? But don't get attached to Musk. That's not what we're doing here. But what he's doing and what he's talking about is nobody's ever done this at this level. And one of the reasons why I don't think it's staged 
is his his reaction when something comes up. Let me play this again. You absolutely are, but I'm trying to understand why you do because you have to know it's got a there. It puts you in a in the middle of a the partisan divide in the country. It makes you a lightning rod for criticism. I mean, do you like that? I, you know, people today saying he's an anti-Semite. I don't think you are. No, I'm definitely. I'm, I'm, I'm like, like I'm like a pro-Semite. Now, what's interesting about Musk is he says he's pro-Semite, right? And everybody just assumes that he's saying, "Well, I'm pro-Jew." Or I'm pro-Jewish. No, he's not saying that. He says he's pro-Semite. And the Semitic people are a much broader appellation than just one specific group who has taken on the role and the title and wears it as both a badge and a shield. Musk is cagey. Oh, let's keep going. If anything. <laughs> I, I believe that probably is the case. Yes. But this guy doesn't have a fucking clue. Why would you even introduce the idea then that that would be the, the case? I, I mean, look, we don't want to make this a George Soros interview. No, um, God, no. I, so, don't, I don't want to at uh, all. But I'm what I'm trying even came up though in the annual meeting. I mean, you know, do your tweets hurt the company? Are there Tesla owners who say I don't agree with his political position because and I know it because he shares so much of it. Or there are advertisers on Twitter that Linda Yaccarino will come and say, you got to stop, man. Or, you know, I can't get these ads because of some of the things you tweet. Notice the pause. These pauses are really interesting because he's really thinking through what he's going to say. It's not reflexive. He doesn't have a script. Let's keep going. You know, maybe he's waiting for for the uh, signal from Starlink to come in. <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's what the pause is all about. No, I, I I think, and as an interviewer, right? Like these kinds of pauses are really uncomfortable. It's a long pause. Yes, thank you. You know, I'm reminded of uh, the, the scene in The Princess Bride. Great movie. Great movie. Um, Great movie. Great movie. Where he confronts the person who killed his father. And he says... Offer me money. Offer me power. I don't care. See, so you just don't care. You want look at the look on his face. I mean, the look on his face is like there is a look of absolute contempt here, and it's not really meant for the guy sitting on across from him it's meant for other people okay so again i'm not here to promote elon musk but let me say something about the idea that people can evolve 
and I'm going to use, I'm going to use me as an example. Not that I'm any great example, but there is a time in my life where knowing me was kind of dangerous, meaning that I had kind of a very explosive, um, I don't give a fuck, do as thou will kind of approach to life, okay? And I was a lot of fun to be around, but there was also another side of me that was more self-interested and self-involved and getting what I wanted. And at times, um, and I'll be honest with you, like hurting other people. Right. And, and, and so there were some interesting things that came out of that period and some not so interesting things. But as I sit here in front of the camera today, I am not that guy. Right? I'm not that person. I've taken parts of that person and, and sort of evolved them and transformed them. But the things that made me kind of an undependable character and at times even a person with questionable character, look, that's, that's not on my, it's not on my plate. And it, it's mostly due to the fact that I became a parent and there are things that go along with that. Um, and at a certain point in time, even doing this work, you know, doing a live stream and all the other stuff that goes along with it. Um, the, the sort of the light went off of my head and it was like, man, you, you have a lot of responsibility here. And, you know, as a result of that, I've had to really watch who I am and um, continue to, to evolve so that I can do what I do and do it in, a, in an effective way, um, in, in a, a potent kind of way, but at the same time, you know, trim the excesses. Like there's always going to be personality involved in what any, anybody does. We all, it's always going to be personality, but at the same time, you know, doing something like this on a daily basis, somebody actually asked me a really interesting question on Facebook yesterday. And it was, um, you have a lot of responsibility with people's lives. Like, how do you feel about that? And, you know, my answer to that is it's sobering. And literally I stopped drinking in 20, 2019, the beginning of 2020. Now, uh, full disclosure, I will have a glass of wine, maybe two if I go out to dinner and we have like a steak or something. But no way, shape, or form what, am I the person that was hitting the bar three to four nights a week because I needed to connect with people or, you know, whatever whatever kind of justification. I, I'm like, I'm not that person. 
And I think it coincided with this. idea. It was the timing. I don't mean to make this about me, but the timing was really interesting because at the beginning of 2020, I'm like, I, I got to give this up. That was really a, um, a very big part of it. Actually, I think it was, God, it's hard for me to remember if it was 2019 or 2020. Joan would know. But it, it coincided with the crisis that we all went all went through. So there was something going on in my head. It must have been the second Saturn return. There was something going on in my head where it's like, okay, you got to be clear. And I just got tired of it. I just it was like New Year's Day. I just got tired of it. Like nothing terrible happened. I just got tired of it. And, and it coincided with what was about to happen. And so these things sort of lined up like, oh, okay, I can see, I can see why I get it now. And then the whole COVID piece was a really big piece because I, it, that was, you know, that was, those were my marching orders. Like, you know, get in the ring and do it every day and and you got to, you literally have to show up, literally have to show up. And that changed my life. And as a result of that, it's continued to, to shape and change my life. So I'm sharing this with you because people can change. People can evolve. And I'm not saying this so that, you know, I'm holding out hope that Elon Musk is going through this process. But I don't think it is impossible for anyone to go through that process. And maybe that's what we're witnessing. Maybe we're witnessing somebody who is kind of waking up, right? And I think that there are things in his life that have shaped him. And one of the things that people don't talk about He's got, he like had all these kids, you know, in vitro and he's got twins and it, like, like he's got like a whole flock of kids and one of them is transitioning. And as a parent, I don't care who you are, it's going to affect you. Maybe this is part of it. I don't know. Here, I'll play some more. Let's play it again. I want to get to the PSYOP part. That's really interesting. I want to share what you have to say. I'll say what I want to say. And if, 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 uh, if the consequence of that is losing money, so be it. I don't think he's posturing. Whoever this character is, I don't think he's posturing. I think he's dead serious. That's how I'm reading it. Let's keep going. Okay. And he, and you know what, you know, it's effective about that. Once he says it, he doesn't say another fucking thing. He lets it hang there. By the way, that is a sales technique. That is a sales technique. If you ever want to negotiate for anything, 
you throw out an offer and you don't say another word. And the first person that says something loses. He knows this. He knows this. He doesn't have to justify it. He doesn't have to back it up. And who speaks first? Let's go back again. Play it again. I'll say what I want to say. And if, 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 uh, if the consequence of that is losing money, so be it. Okay. Not another word. He says, okay. There you go. Who won that round of negotiation? It was Elon Musk. But, I mean, when you, when, you, when you link to somebody who's talking about the guy who killed children in a mall in, in Allen, Texas, and you, you say something like it might be a bad psyop, I'm not quite sure what you meant, but... <laughs> he, he looks at me like that sometimes. Oh, in, in that particular case, uh, the guy doesn't even know what a sigh probably is. There was uh, a so, somehow that, that that's not 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 that the 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 that the, the people people were killed, but the it was I think incorrectly ascribed to be a white supremacist action, um, and the evidence for that. Uh, was some obscure Russian website that no one's ever heard of that had no followers, um, and the, the the company that came, that found this is Bellingcat. Right. And do you know what Bellingcat does? Psyops. Right. I couldn't really even follow exactly what it was you were trying to express there, so that's in part why I was curious. I'm, but I'm saying that I thought this, the, the, the the ascribing it to white supremacy was bullshit. Okay. And and, uh, and 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 that the information for that uh, came from an obscure Russian website and was somehow magically found by Bellingcat, which is a company that does psyops. And there's no proof, by the way, that he was not. There's no. I, I would say that there's no proof that he is. And that's a debate you want to get into on Twitter. Yes. Because we should not be ascribing things to white supremacy uh, if if, they're, if it's false. There you go. Thank you for allowing us to, to be here. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, really interesting interview. W whatever you think of the guy, right? Let's say just for a minute, you're able to take the personality out of it. And let's say that this is another version of the voice of the Vox Populi emerging, just like I thought it was with Trump. You know, I kept telling people, don't get attached to the personality. Don't get attached to it. You can ride the energy. Don't get attached to the personality. And I always told people very early on, you cannot trust Donald Trump. Can't. Even his most um, closest and loyal business partners, like I'm sure they don't even trust Donald Trump. Because number one, he's a Gemini on fucking steroids with Uranus conjuncting the sun, but he also has a Neptune-Mercury square. And, you know, there's a lot of hyperbole and at times prevarication with the Neptune-Mercury square. So it's actually Mercury-Neptune square in his chart. Um. 
But if you if you see or or listen or experience those words as emerging from this vox populi, those are very interesting words. Very interesting words. And I think the guy's serious. I mean, I didn't get a sense that he was joking around or, you know, that didn't feel scripted. The other thing that's interesting is that the ADL came out swinging against him. And he said, you're not really the anti-defamation league. You're the defamation league. Because they were calling him a white supremacist. They were going on and on and on. Uh, Haaretz, which is, uh, you know, the one of the leading papers of Israel, really got on him for the Soros stuff. So now, now he's, he's taking flack from uh, the, uh, the, the more um, neoconservative pro-Zionist side of things. And he just said, well, you should just change your name to the Defamation League. Just drop, just drop the anti because there's nothing anti about it. So it's very interesting. It's very, very interesting that all of a sudden the public square looks a little bit different and people are frightened. People are frightened over the fact that somebody's going to say things that are going to make them feel uncomfortable. And uh, again, Whatever this guy's plan is, get him, get us on X chat, Mark of the Beast. Who the fuck knows, right? But I'll take that because that was that was something you have never heard before from anybody, nobody, not even Donald Trump went that far. Not even Trump went that far. Did Donald Trump ever talk about George Soros when he was president? Did he ever say that George Soros was evil and he was destroying humanity? I don't think Trump ever said that. I don't think Trump even mentioned PSYOP once while he was president. Or even prior to that. Like he, you know, he alluded to it, I think, with 9-11, but he never ever came out and said, This is a PSYOP. So again, I'm not pinning my hopes on Elon Musk, but it's cool to watch, right? And we're Pluto and Aquarius. And some of this stuff is going to emerge. And I think the other thing he did, like, like he was really going at it. Like he had a, a graphic on Twitter that he posted about <laughs> like black on white crime. Came right, right out. Here's the, here's the statistics. And again, I want you to keep in mind that Elon Musk is from South Africa. And there is a historical legacy there. And I'm sure he's very well aware of that historical legacy. All right, let's move on to another part of this topic. And... I just, uh, Dr. J sent me this today while I was doing the uh, 
the astro weather. So I just have a graphic to share. And I guess, what does that look like? Fox or something? I don't know what that is. The general. Breaking House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has called for the immediate, come on now, the immediate expulsion, not the immediately expulsion. Who's fucking writing this shit? A prosecution of Representative Adam Schiff for committing crimes of treason against the United States. This is part of what I wanted to bring into the conversation around this whole idea of pole shift. And, or I should have called it pole shift. Wouldn't that, that would have been a better title. Pole shift. Um, if, you're, if you're not aware of what I'm talking about, this Durham report finally came out. It finally came out. And one of the people that does not look good in the Durham report is Adam Schiff. And he's in the crosshairs now. And I think there's this um, representative, what's her name? Luna. Is that her last name? The moon. And she has made a motion for Schiff to be impeached. Look, we all know he's a piece of Schiff. He is a smarmy piece of Schiff. Most of them are. But he is, when it comes to smarmy and a piece of Schiff shifty, like Schiff is the worst. He's the poster boy. And what makes Schiff dangerous is he's very articulate. He's good at selling his message, whatever the message is. He knows it too. He's got that kind of smug, self-satisfied vibe about it. He just wants to slap it off his face. Slap it off his face. So he's under the the uh, heat lamps now. And um Again, you know, we're, we're just trying to piece some things together, like what's going on. So you you have, you know, Musk theoretically breaking ranks with the politically correct response. Again, try to just take Musk out of the picture. And now there's this very interesting um, development. So let me go over here around Schiff, and you have the Speaker of the House coming in. And basically putting his stamp on, so this guy's got to go. And that's not always, when it gets to that level, there's momentum behind it. Kev, Kevin McCarthy, again, Not a huge fan of of you know these dyed in the wool politicos, um, but but when he gets to that level with him, something is going on. Now you've got articles of impeachment against Mayorkas. That's a Marjorie Taylor Greene thing. So there, I mean, again, is is it just political theater? There's probably. Some of that going on there, but there's also something else 
happening. So, something, there's always unintended consequences. And they're in the air right now. And we're watching it. Um, here we go. Let's look at uh, the latest from Eric Adams, King Rat of New York. So these people believe that they have immense amount of power. Like Eric Adams is a fucking turtle on the fence post. Okay. He's one of these guys that got a lot of power hanging out in areas of Brooklyn where he brought in money. He brought money into these areas so that, you know, they could get, you know, people on his payroll, um, you know, get community centers, shit like that. Right. And then they became beholden to him. So that's how he kind of grew his reputation, former cop um, and weird background stuff too. I, I did a big deep dive on Eric Adams and uh, suspicious death of somebody that was connecting him with all these real estate purchases that he was making in the real estate company that was involved with him and the mortgage company. This one guy who he was Asian and he was like kind of on it. And then all of a sudden he, he winds up dead. Right. So Eric Adams is a really sinister character. He's totally sinister character. He's a turtle on the fence, but, but there's a reason why he's a turtle on the fence post. It's because he made connections and relationships. Like it's kind of the, same model that Willie Brown used in San Francisco, to be honest with you. And Willie Brown was the consummate deal maker in that on the one hand, he was like pro development, like super pro development. And on the other hand, he was espousing um, these very liberal causes and, you know, making connections with San Francisco areas, of San, which are very segmented, like you have Castro and, you know, Polk and a lot of people that are in Knob Hill and Pacific Heights are all fucking rich ass liberals, right? We know the story about that. He had no problem with those people because that's where all the development is going to take place. But then you go out to places like Hunter's Point, Western Edition, like Willie was their guy because he was, you know, representing them and he was bringing things into, it's like he was kind of a Robin Hood character. And the development part was Tim taking money from the developers and throwing it out to these areas where these special interests were. And so they were beholden to him. And that's the exact same model that Eric Adams used. He's kind of like a, a, a cheaper version of Willie Brown. Willie Brown is really articulate. He's very smart. Um, Eric Adams is clever. I'm not sure how smart he is, but he's clever. And that's exactly how we got into power. Same kind of a same model. So it is turtle on the fence posty, but this is somebody who, because of his social position, right? His social position, he's able to represent an underclass, which is what Willie Brown did. 
It's what Eric Adams did. But at the same time, he was making handshakes with, you know, builders, developers, people of real power in New York City. And that's ultimately how he got into his position. That's that's just kind of a backstory. So now there's a big crisis happening. Bring in, you know, the, our new Americans. Our new Americans are here. And he's bringing them to New York City and he's kicking out kids in schools. And let me show you this article. New York City Mayor Eric Adams tells outraged parents to deal with adult migrants living in public school gyms. If you were a parent and you had this guy, this shit bag, telling, telling you to just deal with it, how do you think that's going to go over? Look at this. We are sorry you're displaced, but our school is not your space. Do us all a favor. Take off your masks. Please. Join the rest of us. You're so close. Join the rest of us. By the way, you know that this is fucking homegrown. This is not like one of those signs that they have, you know, at the BLM rallies where they're perfectly printed. You know what I mean? And there's thousands of them. It's like, oh, gee, where do they get those signs? No, this is this is this is some homegrown shit right here. New York City Mayor Mayor Eric Adams, Democrat, says outraged parents will have to deal with border crossers and legal aliens living in their children's public school gyms for the time being. As Breitbart News reported. Adams has started carrying out a policy that converts a number of public school gyms into migrant shelters with potentially hundreds of border crossers and illegal aliens living on campuses as school children. Now that's a really good fucking idea. These are guys that rape children on their way to the border. Oh, they do because the girls wind up in hospitals here in Texas. And I know this for a fact because we had a, a, a representative, a couple of representatives uh, come to the tea party last week. And one, one, one of them said, I've, I've been to the border many times. I've been in the hospitals where these young girls are being treated for multiple Multiple rapes. And it's a good idea. He thinks it's a good fucking idea. Outraged parents and students protested on Tuesday outside of some of the schools where Adams has started housing migrants, including PS 188 in Coney Island and PS-17 in Williamsburg. Oh, the hipsters are getting them. 
providing them with free food as recess is cut for students. Oh, so now students don't even get to go out and exercise and play. They'll sit in their classrooms where they see a bunch of uh, complete and total strangers kind of moping around the grounds. Eating beefaroni with um, salad and jello. Our children deserve to have the academic. Oh, although uh, Adams is a vegan, did you know that? So maybe they're getting vegan food. Our children deserve to have the academics. How are they going to do that when our kids are having to worry about who they're around? How about you? worried about your kids and who they're around. Yeah. We're going to get hurt. And our teachers as well are having to suffer because they are now stuck in a position where they can't even get our kids help, one parent said. You guys voted for that asshole. Let's read this. Let's see this one. Safety is first. Safety is first. Safety is first. Safety is first. A lot of recent migrants in there. Just a just a quick notice. Uh, Adams in a statement shrugged off the protest and effectively told parents that they will have to deal with their children sharing school campuses with newly arrived border crossers. This is one of the last places we want to look at. None of us are comfortable with having to take these drastic steps. Each gym, the 20 gyms we were looking at, have not made a final determination on all gyms but that we're looking at are separate from the actual school buildings. They're in the, really? Kimmy, fuck. It's ridiculous. Likewise, in a separate statement, Adams warned every city service meant for New Yorkers will be impacted by waves of border crossers and illegal aliens arriving in the sanctuary city. Though he defended the policy, we have been in sanctuary city for over 40 years. And when you think about the law that was put in place or the agreement that was put in place, no one anticipated having... 4,200 people come to the city. Really? And you're a leader? You're a leader. And it doesn't take a fucking genius to realize that there's going to be big numbers. I mean, this alone should just disqualify you from being 
mayor. Greg Abbott, other governor, is a bus 60,000 border crossers and illegal aliens to New York City. Yeah, not a fan of Abbott. Oh, here comes the re- here comes the reparations. Cory Bush introduces resolution for 14 trillion reparations to Black Americans. That will probably be the payoff to keep their, um, you know, keep them keep their mouths shut when it comes to this new wave of Americans who can displace and supplant them. Right. That's going to be that's going to be the hush money. Yeah, we'll give you reparations. Isn't America great again? And shut the fuck up about the migrants. Right. It's hush money is what it is. What it's looking like. All right. But I'm sensing a pole shift here. Sensing a pole shift. I want to play you something. It's a very interesting video. It's a little off topic, but it's so cool and interesting that I want to play it anyway. So the video I'm going to play was an interview that was done a few years back. And it's an interview with uh, the TV and movie star Clint Walker. And Clint Walker was a very large human. Six foot six. A uh, 48-inch uh, chest, 32-inch waist. The guy was fucking chiseled, right? Um, films that you might be familiar with, with Clint Walker, uh, Jungle Gents, Cheyenne, The Ten Commandments, uh, Fort Dobbs, Yellowstone Kelly, Gold of the Seven Saints, The Jack Benny Program, Semi No Flowers, None But the Brave, The Lucy Show, Night of the Grizzly, Maya, The Dirty Dozen, where he plays a pretty memorable character, More Dead Than Alive, Sam Whiskey, The Great Bank Robbery, The Finks, P-H-Y-N-X, Yuma, Hard Case, The Bounty Man, Pancho Villa, Kodiak, Scream of the Wolf, a lot of stuff, right? Last, His last um, movie was Small Soldiers, where he was the voice of Nick Nitro. So he's one of these guys that's pretty much embedded in um, American cinema and TV. He was on Cheyenne, which ran from 1955 to 1963. It's a long run. So I want to play you a video here of Clint Walker. And he's talking about his near-death experience. I'm going to play this for you. It's really interesting. It's going to take us right up to the edge, but that's all right. Here we go. I'm up with a ski pole through my heart. 
two doctors, when they got me down to Bishop, pronounced me dead, and I was out of body. And uh, I was in that spirit body here, you know. Uh, they tell us we have two bodies, well, we really do. And that spirit body's got this one beat all the heck. You're more alive, more alert, more aware. Uh, you suddenly know things you never knew before. Uh, and uh, that spirit body, there's no aches and pains. I mean, very comfortable. But uh, I, I realized that I wouldn't, you know, particularly all that concerned about going back. And then I thought, but you know, there's something that I came uh, came to Earth to do, and I haven't done it. And I got to go back, take another crack at it, and don't ask me what that was, because I don't know. Maybe it's the things I'm doing now. I don't know. But uh, I said, God, I'm. Uh, I need your help. I want to go back and take another crack at it. And uh, so a third heart specialist came through and saw my buddy on the gurney. He was just waiting for the meat wagon. And uh, he said, I don't know what it was, Clint, but I didn't feel you were dead. And I, you know, that's, I think that was God answering my request. And uh, I couldn't see, open my eyes and see him. I could hear him like he was a long distance away. He took a, he came to visit a friend at the hospital, was taking a shortcut to get to his car through the basement and saw me and uh, asked, you know, about me. And they told him who I was and what had happened. And the two doctors pronounced me dead. And he went over and looked at me and said, uh, I don't think this man is dead. And he took his coat off and he asked for some tools, started cutting my chest open to check on the heart. And I couldn't open my eyes, but I did say to him, do you really have to do that? <laughs> there was a pause and then I heard him say, yes, we do. And they rushed me up to the operating room. And when I woke up about 3.30 the next morning, all through a, full of tubes and everything, I knew he had, that God had granted my request. And he told me afterwards, he said, Clint, you're a medical mystery. And that's how I'm written up. And then, you know, I've got the papers at home where they, they said, uh, you know, I, uh, I'm trying to think of the wording. Uh, I contradicted uh, a lot of the things that they'd been taught by they they said uh, even if you had been alive you should have been a mental vegetable uh, because you were without oxygen for a long period of time there you go i wanted to leave you with that because in as much as we're engaged in this spiritual war in this domain um Clint Walker clearly has, he had an experience of what he calls the spirit body and his realization of what that was, was more complete than his earthly body. But not only that, it's also how he was 
resuscitated and resurrected. Like the, the randomness of that moment, the guy walking by, it was the third one. He wasn't even there at the hospital. He wasn't on call. And something, something in his head said, something's not right about this. And then they flipped it, right? And even the fact that he should have been not just dead, but a freaking vegetable. And he defied like everything that they were taught. And I just wanted to play that video for you because a lot of times we get really caught in, in this kind of clash of the spirit in this world. And I wanted to show you a, what I would consider to be a positive and um, perhaps very instructive um, solicitation or account of something a little bit different. And keep that in mind. We are who we are, but we're also more than who we are. With that, we're going to put a wrap on today's show. Use your head in order to summon where it's real, your heart to set when it's possible. And as the pole shift, shift with it. Bye for now.